How you guys? Good. Good to see you guys. Y'all okay? Everybody back there all right? There we go. Come on, girl. Don't be afraid. Hey, uh, we're glad to see you this morning. Uh, we, uh, man, as he mentioned, there's been a lot of stuff going on with a lot of folks in our our church this week. Uh, a lot of folks uh, that have suffered loss. Uh, the Binkley family uh, this week. Monica lost her grandmother, who she was extremely close with, and uh, and then uh, uh, Eddie Watts uh, lost both of his parents this week. Uh, and uh, you know, but here's here's the amazing thing. They were their health was not well. Uh, uh, elderly couple, uh, and really, you know, you just kind of look at some of that, and you just go, man, what's God doing with that? And uh, I got to go hang out with Eddie for a few minutes, and, and several other folks did too, I think on Wednesday night uh, at the funeral home, and uh, man, just the demeanor of just, just the peace, and you could tell, like the peace that he and his family had, like they were consoling everybody else, you know, like people were coming, you know, we're all coming in there like, man, are you okay? Oh, yeah, man doing real good you know like oh yeah oh yeah man they're with he's with the lord you know and uh you know we're expecting mom to go anytime you know and i was like really and they're like yeah and i was like wow and i mean just just i mean you just the assurance of just knowing uh that uh, that that his parents were going to be with the lord uh comforted them uh, and then they were comforting everybody else. It was crazy. So, uh, you know, just a testimony of of, uh, of God at work and uh, and a reminder, our hope's not here. And uh, what what an awesome thing uh, when we really think about that, we really know that, we really trust in Jesus. Um, so, uh, and then for us, we've had uh, we've had five out of six kids sick this week, so that's been fantastic. Uh, my wife feels like a zombie uh, because it's been pretty much all week, uh, and uh, she's about ready to, I don't, I don't know. She might, she might run away or something. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of, kind of keep like, where's the breaking point? I know it's coming. So, uh, but uh, you pray for her. Uh, but the kids, I think, are, are starting to come out of it. And we had a little scare Friday night with Cash. He had a, a temperature of over 104 something. And uh, um, luckily enough, we've got one of those doctors that you can call and he answers the phone and. Uh, at 10 o'clock at night and, and gives you his 10 cents and uh, we followed that and that helped a lot so uh, anyway uh, crazy crazy moments and crazy times and you know if you're not sick you probably got 10,000 things going on and uh, you know I think it's just good for us to be able just to come together and focus on God's word together and we're going to do that right now if you've got a Bible and you want to go ahead and get it out uh, we're going to the book of Mark. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, uh, and they will bring you one. Just uh, throw your hand up and let them get you one. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to take that and keep it as a gift. Um, if you don't have a good Bible, we'd love for you to take that. Please do, and uh, let God speak to you through it. Uh, but the book of Mark, the book of Mark, you know, Mark is, uh, Mark is interesting. You know, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the four Gospels. And, and, and the idea behind the Gospels is that they are uh, four different variations of 
of the story of Jesus, who Jesus is and, and, and what, he, what he did and all that and the life of Jesus, basically. And, uh, and so, but, you know, like, like any storytelling, um, because you've got four different people telling, because that's the way the Gospels are set up, you've got four different people, each one has written one of the Gospels, uh, they had different uh, views of, of what was going on with Christ and uh, knowledge of things that maybe another one didn't or whatever, like, you know, some of the stories that I could tell on some of you uh, right now, but I won't, uh, and uh, you probably don't want me to, and then, uh, and then you know, like your spouse, if, you, if you're married or, you, you know, whatever, you, your parents or whatever, you, you, you've got friends that have stories on you that you would never want told on Sunday morning at church, right? And so, uh, you know, but, that, but, they're, but they're part of the story and their truth, you know? And so same, same kind of idea with the Gospels is you've got four different uh, uh, interpretations, or not interpretations, but variations of, of the life of Christ and what happened with him. And, uh, and you, you can take those and you can kind of marry them together at times and, and see, you know, these different ways that God was at work through sending Jesus um, and, uh, and Mark writes this a little different than the other guys do, because if, if you look, they each write a little different. You know, you got Luke, who was a doctor, and, you know, so you kind of feel like you're getting a little bit more educated uh, type of a, a perspective or whatever. But Mark, uh, Mark is, is writing this uh, as more of like a narrative, and it's believed, it's, it's not, you know, we're not, I'm not saying this is for sure or whatever, but it's believed that more than likely that uh, the book of Mark, uh, that Mark was, um, Mark was uh, very close probably with Peter. Uh, and, and we believe, there's some belief behind an understanding that it's possibly that this is really from Peter's perspective. And that Mark was just the guy that was writing, you know, all of the things that Peter was telling him or, uh, you know, whatever. And so, and, and if you look at the Gospels, you'll see that the book of Mark talks about Peter uh, more. You see Peter more uh, in those. So that's part of the uh, belief in that and understanding of that. Uh, but, you know, because of that, you don't have like some of the detail of, you know, the story of, you know, like, he was there, and he's writing all this detail that goes along with the moment, and as it happened, and then he said this, and then this happened, and then that, and in fact, you know, you almost get the feeling that with Mark, when he wrote this, that he wrote this with kind of like this, let's get to the point type of a type of a narrative, and in fact, maybe even more of like a Cliff Notes version of a gospel, <laughs> kind of a thing. And so you still have a lot of the same, the same uh, uh, you know, things that happen, the same uh, moments in, in time and all that kind of stuff, uh, but they're condensed a lot. Uh, and and the, the temptation is to hear that and go, oh, well, you know, I, I don't know if I want to read the book of Mark then because the book of Mark, you know, I, you know, I don't want to get cheated out of the details of what's going on here with Jesus. Uh, but I think for us this morning, I think one of the good things for us this morning is to recognize that with Mark, because of the way uh, Mark has written this, we have, we have it written in, in a different perspective to the point that we're seeing more of the action of Jesus uh, than Jesus talking all the time kind of a thing. And we get some of that too, uh, but we're seeing a whole lot of the action of the life of Christ and who Christ was and what he did. Uh, and, and I think, I believe, that that, that that leads us to action as well. I, I think that for us to see that, leads it, it, it begs the questions, what does this mean for us? Where does this leave us? What is this calling us to? 
And so as we study through this, uh, I think that we'll see that. I think that we'll see themes. I think one of the big themes that we see in the book of Mark uh, is the theme of discipleship. Uh, you know, I think that we see, I think we see through uh, the actions of Jesus, we're seeing him disciple people constantly. And, and, and by the way, let's talk about that for just a second. Discipleship is one of those like magical words in the church that, <clears throat> that people hear that and they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm no good at that or whatever. Now, here's the truth of it. We disciple people all the time. It's just a matter of what are we discipling people to? You know, because we, for so many people, there's, there's, there's a whole church world out there that thinks discipleship only happens around like a Henry Blackaby book or something. And it can. It can be like that. But the truth is, is that, that discipleship is us showing one another how to pursue Jesus. Pushing each other to pursue Jesus. And, and listen, in its simplest form is an amazingly simple thing. But even in how we live our lives and invite other people into our lives to live life with us and how we pursue Jesus together is discipleship. Uh, now, you know, you can, you, can be, you can be a disciple maker of like, you know, uh, whatever, a great Italian food or something if you want to be. I mean, you know, and, and all of a sudden you're leading people to great Italian food, which there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Uh, let me be clear. Uh, but the, the truth is, is that this is a calling for us. And, and, and so even that alone, just knowing that that is a thread that we see throughout the book of Mark, I think is important for us, and I think it's important for our church at this point in time and its history and all those things that we would be thinking and we would be praying about, what does it look like for us to make disciples? And, and get over the, I want somebody to make a disciple of me thing. And, and go, you know what, I'm going to be a part of the process of making disciples because that's what we're called to do. Jesus, on the way out the door, like, you know, right as he's about to leave the building, so to speak, he, what? He gives, he gives us the command, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And, and, and the truth is that for so many of us, we're not. We're not doing that, uh, or, or, or we're not intentionally doing it. Uh, and, and maybe we're more lackadaisical with it. But what happens if we, 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 we ask God to lead us, and we say, God, lead me by the Holy Spirit to show me what does it look like for me to be more intentional in leading others to Jesus, leading others to pursue Him. What's that look like? What, how does that change life for us? How does that change the relationships that God has given us uh, in life? So, uh, you know, that, that's, just a few, that's just a few things that I think that we see uh, throughout the book of Mark. We'll go ahead and jump into, into this today. Uh, Mark chapter 1, um, and even the way Mark begins the book of Mark is different than the way all the other Gospels begin, because the other Gospels, you kind of have like this, you know, common, like, you know, hey, we're going to... You know, we're going to flush out the whole family tree of Jesus. Like, here's the genealogy, and he was related to so-and-so, and they were such-and-such, and this is where this is going, and all this stuff. And Mark, Mark, <laughs> I really kind of just get the feeling that Mark is just like, yeah, let's just get to the point, you know? Like, like somebody else has written that down, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, let's just get to the point here. Uh, and, and so we've got Mark, and he, but he begins, he begins with a passage of Scripture from Isaiah, and, and he is trying to set the stage for us to understand. And of course, you've got to remember, it's po and it's possible Mark was the first gospel written. To even think that some of this is like the first time that this was written down and shared, like just, I, I can't even imagine. 
I can't even imagine getting to have been Mark, number one, and like getting to be part of the process as God is, is using him to pin this for people to know about Christ and what he's done and all these things. Just, just amazing to me. Uh, but, but just, yeah. So he starts out setting the stage with Isaiah, and here it goes. Verse 1, chapter 1, the book of Mark says this. says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. That makes me think of like when we were kids. Remember when kids and like you'd like tell somebody, you'd like tell them off and you're like boom instead of going boom back then it was like face. I don't even know what that meant. I still don't know what that means. Like, what did that mean? And now when you read it, you won't be able to not laugh. Because it says, behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way? So what, who's he talking about? The messenger. What is that? Is he talking about Jesus? No, this is actually talking. This is, this is uh, something that was foretold, uh, that God was, was leading them to know that there would be someone who would come before to prepare the way. Someone who would come before Jesus to prepare the way. Now, he's not saying Jesus yet, but we'll, we'll get there pretty quick. In fact, verse 3, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, this is, this is quite possibly like, you know, as far as, like, as what we have as Scripture goes anyway. The first time that it was penned, maybe, we don't know, uh, that it was penned that Jesus would be referred to as the Lord. Isn't that amazing to think about that? How crazy is that? And, and so, so you've, got, you've got this and you say, well, it still not, doesn't, say, doesn't say Jesus. Yeah, well, we're getting there, okay? So John, so we're going to get to this guy named John. John was the messenger who was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, God told hundreds of years before Isaiah, as he's pinning this thing, that there's going to be one that comes before the Lord to prepare the way. Of the Lord, a voice crying in the wilderness, make his path straight. And it says in verse 4, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. So this is John, and John, John has started baptizing people. We know John as John the Baptist, okay? And that doesn't mean that he went to First Baptist, he, he was because he was baptizing people. So let's talk about the baptizing of people. Because I even was in a conversation this week with one of the guys from our church, and he was like, so, uh, and there's a newer family, he's like, you know, what, what's baptism? Like, I mean, like, what's really the point? Like, why, why do we baptize people? And, uh, and we do baptize people, in case you didn't know, and if you've never been baptized, it's something that we do, and I'll explain here in a minute why, why that is or why we do it or whatever. And if you haven't and you want to do it, we can do it any week, any time. You just let us know, any Sunday. Uh, but uh, baptism is something that was happening before Christendom, before the Christians and Jesus and all this stuff. You know, baptism was something that was happening, and, and they would do this in the middle of town, and, and you got to kind of kind of to go back to the moment, so to speak. Everything happened at the river. Everything happened at the river. You went to get water at the river. Uh, you went to take a bath at the river. Uh, you washed your clothes in the river. And because there were so many people there, you would have a lot of people there selling things too. So this became you know, a bit of a marketplace, so to speak, on the beach or whatever. 
And so, you know, people would get baptized uh, to show that they had maybe, so to speak, turned over a new leaf or something. Or, you know, they, they, they were trying to get a fresh start in life and, and they were making a public, public announcement with being baptized that my old self is gone and I've got a new, I've got a new self. Um, so John the Baptist sees this and, of course, he's sent to prepare the way of the Lord and, and, and he's, he's, he's preaching the gospel. He's telling people that the Lord is coming and that he's coming to save and that you need to repent of your sins and recognize that you've got sin because he's the one that's going to save you. Like, do, will you trust in him? Let him speak to your heart, blah, blah, blah. And, and so John's you know, teaching the gospel and people are, people are receiving the Lord as their savior. And in the midst of this, he sees these people getting baptized and he's like, Psh. That's no life change. That's just you wanting to like do better with your diet for 2018, you know? No, let's, let's, let's do this. Like, let's start baptizing people because they're following the Lord, that the Lord has changed their life. That's a life change. And so he starts baptizing people down at the river. And it becomes like this, hey, this is like a public, like we're going to let the world know that we're following the Lord when we get baptized kind of thing. And so that's the deal of baptism. Furthermore, if you want to get real technical about it, baptizo, the Greek word for baptism, uh, it means to submerge. And that's why we do the whole under the water thing, whatever. Uh, this day and age, to be baptized, maybe we'd be better off putting people on the front of the paper and being like, hey, this person came to, came to Christ this week, has been saved by the Lord this week, you know, whatever, uh, you know, and let them tell their story or something. Maybe that's the better thing. But we still do baptism because we think it's a great way for us to publicly tell, uh, especially our church. Uh, of course, we do videos, so you tell the world, really, technically, at the end of the day, uh, too. But... Um, but we think it's a great way for us to tell the church, to tell the world that we are following Jesus. It is an outward expression of something that has already happened on the inside. An outward expression of something that has already happened inside. And just to be clear, baptism is not what saves us. There are people that believe that, okay? Baptism does not save us. In fact, let me just, let me just cut all the way down to the bottom line, and the bottom line is we are not saved by anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? That is, that is it. The blood of Jesus is it. Uh, what he has done for us, we couldn't do for ourselves. It is a gift. We can't earn it. I can't earn my salvation by going to church enough, by preaching enough, by being kind enough, by worshiping enough, by giving enough. It is a gift. We cannot earn it. That is an amazing thing to me, that God would give to us this gift of salvation despite the fact that we are sinners. Our sin separates us from God. And our sin is a bit of a theme, and there's a lot of churches these days that don't talk about sin, by the way, if you had not picked up on that, um, which is a shame because the theme that we see in Scripture <laughs> is that we've got to recognize our sin and repent of it and confess it. I mean, right, right here, it, it, we have Mark helping us to see, and I think he's doing this on purpose so that he didn't want people to think that the baptism is what was saving these people. It says, John appeared, verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. 
And what he's doing by saying proclaiming, what they're, that they are proclaiming something that's already happened. They're not being saved by the baptism. They've been saved because they've repented of their sin, recognized their need for a Savior, and God has saved them. So the proclaiming, they are proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They're basically saying, I recognize I'm a sinner, I recognize I need a Savior, and God has saved me today, and I'm here to tell you that my life is being made new, has been made new because of the Lord. Verse 6. Imagine like how imagine being one of those people that got baptized before Jesus went to the cross. And like seeing that full circle and like figuring out as time goes on, like beginning to understand like the the weight of like what happened then and like what Christ was about, to, what Christ would do eventually, you know? What a crazy just opportunity just to even get to be a part of that. Verse 5 it says this. It says, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the Jordan River and doing what? Confessing their sins. There it is again. We're right back to the sin thing. How, how, could, you, how could we not talk about sin? I have no idea. I don't know how we could not talk about sin. But, but right here we see that this is a continuing of them confessing their sins. Somewhere along the way, and we talked about this last week, and if you missed last week, and you have any inkling in the world that you might not be a believer. That maybe, maybe you've hung your hat on going to church all your life. Or you've been one of those people that always said, Well, I've just always believed in God. I've just always known about Jesus. Well, guess what? Satan knows about him too. And has always known about him. So you're in the same boat as Satan. So watch out. <laughs> At some point along the way, there is a moment where the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, shows us that we are sinners, we recognize we need a Savior, and we recognize and believe in what God has done, and we are saved. It is the working, it is the working of Jesus Christ that saves us. So, maybe you've not ever had that moment. Maybe, maybe, maybe today. Maybe God speaks to your heart today. Maybe you hear Him for the first time today. Maybe He's been saying it. Maybe He's been knocking on your door and you kind of keep going, Oh no, no God, I'm okay. I've been in church all this time. I'm good. Don't do that. If the Lord is speaking to your heart today, listen to what He's saying. Listen to what He's saying. If He is saying, run to me, come to me, repent of your sin, believe in me and trust in me to be enough, and you quit trying to be enough, let me do the work. He's the one that saves us. We cannot save ourselves. It is a gift. We cannot earn it. And they go to the river and they are confessing their sins. And this is a great thing for us. I mean, I mean even now, even still, we, we have other scripture that teaches us to help us to understand that, there is, that it is healthy for us. And a lot of people struggle with this. But it is healthy for us to confess our sins to one another. It's part of being the church. And that's part of what a lot of people miss by not being in community with one another. Is they miss the opportunity to be able to have relationships in which they can trust in and know that they can confess that sin to one another. There is something about bringing that sin to light that, got, that allows the gospel to kill it. That allows what, what Jesus has done to help us overcome it. And instead, what we tend to do is we want to hide in a closet and we take our little pets in and we're like, well, I'm just going to stay over here and we're not really hurting anybody. That's a lie. We're hurting you and you're hurting all the people around you because you're not the person of God that he's called you to be because 
We're holding on to that sin. And sin destroys even the little ones. It destroys, it changes us. It changes our outlook on life. It changes how we react. It changes how we lead people to Jesus. It changes how we disciple or don't people in leading them to pursue Jesus. As you probably figured out by now, I, I am keen on this year. I am, I am going to probably talk about it every week. We have got to be about pursuing Jesus. We've got to be about pursuing Jesus and, and helping one another pursue Jesus. It should be a part of what we talk about. You know, and, and it's and I, I love I love talking about all the other things, you know. I love I love talking about cars and all this other stuff. You know, but but part of our conversation, part of our daily conversation, if we are loving on one another as the church should be in talking about pursuing Jesus, encouraging one another, praying for one another, discipling one another to do so. So it goes on, it says, verse 6, it says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt. He was very fashionable. Around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. That's a diet for you. There's the 2018 diet. Locusts and wild honey. We could just, I would love, this is the student pastor and me, I would love to just have some locusts and some honey on stage and just bring some people up on stage one week and just, all right, let's have a competition. Who can eat the most locusts and wild honey in five minutes? You know? We did so much of that in student ministry, you just don't even know. Ben knows because he was there. Crazy. So much fun. It goes on, verse 7, he says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not even... I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have been baptized with baptized I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So a couple things here. John's talking about Jesus. I'm coming before the one that's to come, the one who I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandal. He is mightier than I. And then he goes on, he says, And I've been baptizing you with water, but he's coming and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here's a, here's a little nugget of joy for you that's pretty awesome. When we receive Christ as our Savior and we're saved from our sin, forgiveness, and all that, part of what happens is, is Jesus gives to us the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within us. The gift of the Holy Spirit lives within us. God lives inside of us. Why, why is that such a big Here's why it's such a big deal. It is the Holy Spirit that leads us. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts our hearts. I have, you know, people, I've had people, especially people that don't understand Christianity or whatever, you know, that say things to me, friends of mine or whatever. They'll say, well, you know, I guess, you know, you got to like go tell people about all the bad stuff they're doing and all that. And I'm like, well, generally speaking, no. Uh, every once in a while, yes, you've got to, you, you confront somebody that you care about, but you do so in love. Uh, I was like, but for the most part, if they're really pursuing the Lord, the Holy Spirit is convicting their heart already about whatever sin is in their life. I don't have to spend a whole lot of time doing that. And that's why, you know, hellfire brimstone really isn't our thing. 
Because we trust that the Holy Spirit can do that, and we'll talk about it and bring it up, but you don't need me telling you how to live your life. Um, again, there's moments for when we come to one another in love, and, and hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you, I'm worried about you, and that kind of thing. But the Holy Spirit living within us is this huge gift for us. In fact, it goes on in verse 9, and I want us to see the working of, of what we see as the Trinity right here, uh, the Godhead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Verse 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And, the, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with you I am well pleased. Now, two things. We'll, we'll talk about John and then we're going to talk about the Trinity. So John, John gets to baptize Jesus. I mean, for him, this probably is the ultimate moment of his life, if I just had to guess, especially of his ministry. I mean, to just get to, get to be a part of that, I mean, just, I mean, like on a, on a scale, I mean, you, you know how, you know like what a super fan is, don't you? Remember, you know super, super fans, not super friends, not Batman and Robin and them from the 80s cartoon, you know, but, but super, a super fan is like somebody who is overly infatuated with somebody famous usually. You know, a super fan. I, in fact, I knew a super fan, and Ben introduced me to him years ago. And he passed here in just the last few years. But there was a man in Holly Springs, Mississippi, whose name was Paul McLeod. Paul told the world he was the self-proclaimed number one Elvis fan of all time. Now, you realize how big that statement is. I mean, you've met some Elvis fans, right? I mean, like, I, we lived outside of Memphis for a little while. That place gets cray-cray at least one time a year with people that, like, think that they've, they're walking around behind Elvis's ghost half the time. Or, I mean, they're just, I mean, just cray, crazy stuff. I mean, just, you know, and they're down there at Graceland, and they're, you know, they're camping out and, you know, touching the fence and rubbing on the bushes or something. I don't know. You know, just crazy, crazy, you know. So there's some crazy Elvis fans out there. Well, this guy, self-proclaimed number one Elvis fan of all time, to the point that his, he, he, had this, he had this old house, and inside that house, he had, he had turned every single inch of square space, every inch into something Elvis. He had Elvis stuff hung up everywhere. He had, we kind of think some of it was legit. Like he had costumes that apparently maybe Elvis had. And then even like other personal belongings that somehow like his dad had worked for Elvis in security along the way and all this crazy stuff. You know, but I mean, uh, so to like even give you an idea, I took our staff there on a staff retreat one time <laughs> so that they could experience it because this is the way this is, this is the house. This is his house. This was his house anyway. And, uh, and, and when you would go there, you could go there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. He would tell every person that walked through the door that. And so it becomes a challenge. When you, when you, when you say things like that, You've challenged the general public, which includes especially people like college students that we were working with at that time, to go, 
well, let's go, let's go to Graceland 2, which was the name of his house. Let's go to Graceland 2 at 3.30 in the morning. You know, because why not? Let's just see. And we, we, we would. We'd drive down Holly Springs, Mississippi. We'd go to his house, go up, knock on the door. He, you know, it might take him 10 minutes to like wake up or whatever, but eventually he comes to the door and you go in, you pay $10, $10 a head. Everybody goes in and pays $10 a head unless you've been three times and then you are a lifetime member in which we have cards of being such. <laughs> you guys just don't know. <laughs> and so I asked Paul one day, I said, Paul, I said, your house, you painted it pink because it was white in the beginning. And he painted it pink one day. And, we're, and I said, man, why'd you paint the house pink? Here is his answer. I'm not making this up. Here's his answer. Painted, painted the house pink because 55-gallon buckets of pink paint for 50 years of rock and roll. That's it. That's the answer. And I was like, okay, all right. I mean, he he few screws loose, maybe. So, but he loved Elvis. I mean, loved Elvis. Could he talk? If if nobody else showed up for a tour while you were there, that your tour could be like three hours long. I mean, he'd we just go from room to room, just talk, asking about stuff. I mean, you know, becomes a it kind of becomes you know, kind of becomes a joke, especially when you're with, with a bunch of college students or whatever. You know, about this or that or where Paul, where do you sleep? Well, I sleep right there underneath all those records. There's a couch right there. I'm, you know, I'll move them and I'll sleep there or whatever. I mean, he's crazy. He's crazy. Super fan. John the Baptist. John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord. And then Jesus shows up. And he, I mean, he says from the get-go, you know, I'm not even fit to untie his sandal. And he comes to be baptized by John. And you see in some of the other Gospels, like John's reaction to this is just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And he says in verse 10, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descending on Jesus like a dove, and a voice from the heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So, we get to see a picture of the Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're like, what's with that, Chris? I'll just tell you, I think it's one of the most fascinating parts of, of our faith. That, that we have a God who has three parts but is still one person. And how does that work? I don't know. I mean, Optimus Prime is a truck and a robot. You know, there's two. I mean, God trumps that, you know. And that's, that's an illustration from way back right there. First service didn't get that either, so... But I mean, you know, there's just this amazing understanding, but not only are they three, are they three, is there three parts that make up who God is, but they have, they have different, they have different things that they do. They have different purposes, you know, and, 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 you, and you see right here in this passage, you say, well, I don't see the Father, I see the Spirit, He comes down like a dove, but look at verse 11, and, and a voice came from heaven, 
you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't see the Father. I see the Son. I see the Spirit. No, no, no. The voice. Well, it doesn't say that it's the Father. Well, he calls him his Son. So it is the Father. We know it's the Father. He says, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. This is an amazing, amazing picture for us. And it's, and it's even this reminder, as we see the Spirit and the Father and the Son in passages like this, kind of working together to do different things, we're seeing little glimpses into the things that they do, even just in the fact that we're reminded that the Father sent the Son. I want you to think about that for a minute. The Father sent the Son. My son had a 104-something temperature Friday night. And I don't, you know, I don't get too worked up about a whole lot. I mean, I do just for being stupid sometimes, but whatever. And when that was going on, I mean, like I was hearing it and not really maybe even getting the grasp of like how serious that could be until I'm looking in my wife's eyes. And I see where she's at emotionally in that moment. And I go, this is, this is legit. Like, this is serious. I mean, I can't even imagine sending, sending off my son to die. Can't imagine it. Can't even wrap my head around it. Won't even, won't even pretend to. But that's what the Father has done. And there too, he sends the Spirit to be with him in this moment for us to see. And we're reminded of something. We're reminded that Jesus identifies with the sins of his people, even though he himself is free from sin. Jesus comes on mission from the Father, and he could, he could have just like, you know, I got down here and I just want to hang out for a little while and I'm just going to come back. You know I mean? He could have done whatever. He... He goes further than that. He identifies with our sin, the one who knew no sin. And in verse 12, we see that play out. It says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So for 40 days, and we know about this from from this gospel and the other gospels, that Jesus went in the desert 40 days, And most of the time when we talk about that passage, we talk about that Jesus is tempted three different times. And we talk and we see those temptations and we can easily kind of take those temptations and go basically all the temptations that we would deal with are within those three temptations if you really get to the heart and soul of the three different types of temptation. And the truth is this this passage right here, and, and again, because I think sometimes we think that what we see in Scripture was like everything that happened. And the truth is it's like, I think we're just, we're just getting glimpses. Like we're getting glimpses into the life, and Mark is, is great at this. He's great at like giving us these glimpses into the life of Jesus. We don't, have, we don't have the day-to-day journal of everything Jesus did every day. And here it says, And he went in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he doesn't say anything about the three temptations. We know that those three temptations happen from the other Gospels. But what we also could possibly take from that, from what that says right there, is that it's more than likely that Jesus went into the desert 
to be tempted for 40 days. It says he was in the desert, he was in the wilderness, sorry, 40 days being tempted by Satan. So here's why I think that's big for us today. I think we're great at like taking the Jesus on the cross, Jesus, and we're like, man, Jesus suffered for us. And man, he, he, the suffering he, he went through, going to the cross even, uh, going through the cross, uh, coming, uh, you know, going to death for us, that he would die for us and, and defeat death on our behalf, that we might have life in him, that his death would replace the death that we deserve for our sin, that our forgiveness could come because of that. We're, we're, great, we're great at that Jesus. Like, we love that Jesus. But I think sometimes we miss that from day one, this is the beginning of his ministry. This moment, he leaves from being baptized and he goes to the wilderness to deal with temptation for 40 days. I'll give some of you four days and see if you're not calling me by the end of that. Give me four days and see if I'm not calling you by the end of it. Jesus endured for us the whole time. From day one, the whole time, it was for us. Being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And what he's saying there is that he was with dangerous animals. But then he just turns around and says, and the angels were ministering to him. Because it's Mark and he cuts to the point. It goes on in verse 14. It says, now after John was arrested, John, was, John the Baptist was arrested for telling people about Jesus. It was stirring, stirring some people up and ruffling some feathers. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this. And I think this is awesome. I mean, this is the beginning of his ministry. And here, here comes Jesus on the wake of, of John being arrested. He comes into town. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There it is again. Repent. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel is not, I have just always known about God. At some point along the way, there's a moment where the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and He helps you to see your sin, but he also helps you to see that God the Father sent his Son to die the death that we should die for our sin, that we might have salvation, that we might be saved, that we might be able to be a part of the kingdom of God. Repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says. The good news that the kingdom was at hand meant that God's rule over people's hearts and lives was now being established. Was now being established. The kingdom of God wasn't just about when we die that we go to heaven or something. It was about there is a work that started at this point in time in the history of the world 
in which before this, everybody is just trusting in the Lord that He's going to save them, and they don't know how. They don't know, they don't know, you know, Jesus and a cross and all this stuff that we get to know. And at this moment in time, everything changed. And the kingdom of God was at hand in such a way that God could take over the hearts of people that would trust and believe in Him. And the question is, have you done that? Have you let God save you today? Are you still trying to do it yourself? Don't, don't try to do it yourself. If the Holy Spirit is speaking in your heart today, I, I, just, I, I urge you, listen to Him, trust in Him. God wants to restore you to being the creation in which He intended you to be from the very beginning. The King has come, and He has come for His kingdom in our hearts to change us, to use us. Not a king of robes, not a king of crowns, not a king of riches, but a king of humbleness, of forgiveness, and of love. And I think back to the Trinity and ask this question, and I'll close with it. Why, why create creation? Why did God create all this? Why did He create us? What's the point? Did God, did God need some friends? Was God bored? God need some community? He need to like hang out with people or something? I mean, I don't know. Why, why, why did He do that? I mean, it's, it's a valid question. Why do you do it? Well, I think one of the beauties of seeing the Trinity is seeing how they work together and seeing that they already have community. And being that he's God, he's not bored, and he doesn't really need anything, and in fact, he has community with them. So why did he make us? Here's why. He wanted to share his love. He wanted to share his love. That is the opposite. Here, here's, the, here's the sad part about that. That is the opposite of what so many people see when they think about God. They think that he's just some like mean-spirited, playing a game, all this other stuff. No, he loves us so much that in the creation of the world, when we fell into sin, He already had a plan in place, and His plan was greater than a plan that any of us could have come up with because we wouldn't have done it. Because I wouldn't send my son to die for anybody. But He did. To prove how much He loved us. And because He so desperately wants us to know Him and to pursue Him. And I'm praying that the Lord will help us to pursue Him in this year and in this body that we would run after Jesus. I'm praying that if God speak in your heart today that you'll run after Jesus too. would love to talk to you about that. We'll stay as long as we need to today. The phone's always on. The email's always open. Whatever you got to do. If you need to talk to somebody, we're glad to talk to you. If you need to talk to somebody, you know, that you're with, whatever. And, and maybe even this, what's it look like to maybe even just share your story? Tell the story of when God saved you. Do your kids know it? 
Do your friends know it? Do your, does your spouse know it? Talk about it. Talk about it today. Talk about it in the car on the way home. What's God want to do with that? What's God do when we start talking about the things he's done? He moves because his love is all-powerful and it is life-changing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for sending the king that we didn't expect. Thank you for your faithfulness to love us and care for us despite our sin and ourselves and our trying to do it on our own and all these things. God, just help us to see it clearly. Help us to understand. God, I pray, Lord, that you would save the lost. I pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that they would turn from their sin and just realize, Lord, that you're the only one that can overcome it. God, we can't do it. God, do the work that only you can. Thank you for sending your son. God, I pray, Lord, that our lives would glorify you in all we do. We ask all this in your name today. Amen.